And that is actually misleading people quite a lot because B2B journeys, you would know, Matt, that they're easily six months, maybe 12 months. There's anywhere from three to 10 people involved in the buying committee that decides to buy your product. Each of those people maybe have three different devices, which they do research with. And as I list these things, you can sort of hear that <laughs> the ad platforms, the Google Analytics, et cetera, which I mentioned, is probably not actually suited for actually understanding what's going on in this very complex journey. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Market Mentors podcast. I'm Matt Dodgson, co-founder of Market Recruitment, and we connect B2B tech and SaaS businesses with marketers to help them grow. This week, we're joined by Stefan Henderbrand. Stefan is co-founder and CMO of DreamData, a B2B revenue attribution platform. So a great person to speak to about the hot topic that is attribution. I hope you enjoy. So welcome to the Market Mentors podcast, Stefan. Thank you, Matt. I'm really happy to be here. Pleasure to have you. So before we get stuck into this one, I'd love to know what your experience is in B2B marketing. B2B marketing has actually been my trade ever since I left uh, university back in the day. I've worked with companies that have IPO'd and two or three man startups. And now I dream that we're around 30 people now. Yeah. I've always been doing marketing, growth, business development stuff. So <laughs> that's kind of my professional area. <laughs> Yeah, you've got the stories and the battle scars. I've done a lot of stupid stuff that I'm doing differently now. And then I remember back in the day when some stuff worked and that doesn't work anymore. So yeah, been through a lot of things. Yeah, it's fast evolving these days, isn't it? So we're here to talk about attribution and attribution specifically for B2B companies. But at a high level then, how do you define what good attribution is? You know, what should we be aiming for? Yeah, so the purpose of attribution, at least in my world, when you do a business, it's kind of a sport where you're trying to win this sport. And to me, attribution is kind of, I want to understand what's going on when we get a new deal. Because if I understand what took place when we sign a new customer, then there's probably stuff in that customer journey that I can repeat. Maybe it's an ad, maybe I was in this podcast, or maybe it was the salesperson who did something right. I want to try to understand as much of the customer journey that I can, because then I can go on and repeat what seems to be working. I think that's the highest of levels of explanations. I also want to understand when I spend money and if it's absolutely not working, I want to stop that and save those money and put them elsewhere. You'll be best friends with the CEO if you do that, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> From your perspective then, I mean, what's wrong with how most B2B companies currently do attribution then? I'm not to say everything is wrong, but I can maybe list some places where there's danger. I think, first of all, all the ad platforms that you're using, they're basically wired to understand B2C scenarios. That's the Facebooks, LinkedIn, Google, Twitter, etc. All of them are looking to understand this click. At best, does that translate into somebody submitting a lead form on your website? The same goes for Google Analytics and, you know, other common analytics platforms. And that is actually misleading people quite a lot because B2B journeys, you would know, Matt, that they're easily six months, maybe 12 months. There's anywhere from three to 10 people involved in the buying committee that decides to buy your product. 
each of those people maybe have three different devices which they do research with. And as I list these things, you can sort of hear that <laughs> the ad platforms, the Google Analytics, etc., which I mentioned, is probably not actually suited for actually understanding what's going on in this very complex journey. So what we're trying to solve with Dream Data is basically to produce a go-to-market data platform that holds all the digital touches you have available and have them sorted nice and clean and then put into a timeline. So we care about who did what, but Anyway, it's the account timeline that we want to understand. So we're not thrown off when a new device or a new person enters the journey. Gotcha. That's the landscape of what are people doing wrong. And I think you can kind of rant on a little bit more about how the original source field then is used in B2B companies and mm -hmm. original source field being what it says inside the CRM one. Where did we hear about this account the first time? First of all, many times it can be overwritten. So the outbound person would say, was outbound or mm -hmm. it was marketing or it was this campaign or this event, etc. Well, you don't want to have that discussion. You want to have all the touches lined up on a timeline mm -hmm. and then you can have an opinion about what you thought was the important touch afterwards. Mm. And this probably sort of builds on your point just there then, but I read an article which is really interesting on your website about Google Analytics and why you wouldn't recommend that for attribution. But why is that? So it's a little bit of the same things as I said before. Mm. First of all, there is now this discussion on whether it's kind of actually legal to use in the EU. I can only say that there's concerns about that. But the other side of it is more the practical things of why it doesn't work. You know, B2B journeys are long. They're multi-device, multi-stakeholder, etc. And I think you should make decisions upon what is producing revenue and not what is producing emails. Mm. If you're an e-commerce then Google Analytics might be absolutely fine. This person clicked on this ad, he came to your website and he bought your product. That's not the case in B2B. The money in B2B, you can track in your CRM system. That, that's the closed one column. Mm. But then you have 128 touches, all sorts of different places before you have the closed one. And simply Google Analytics have absolutely no clue about what's going on in a B2B company. Mm. They're tracking individual devices that are behaving independent of each other. So even so, if you arrived to our website through your phone one day and from your computer the other day, you'd look like two different people. Mm. So I'd be very careful about making any decision about B2B go-to-market based out of Google Analytics. And these B2C marketers have got it easy by the same time. <laughs> I'm sure there's a ton of complexity in their world as well. This is how I see the world. I can imagine. So, you know, I can't think of a marketer that doesn't want to do attribution better or be able to attribute more accurately. But for those that perhaps aren't doing it as well as they could do then, how should they go about it? I don't go completely mental about data and tracking everything you can, really. Typically, I talk about a framework of, first of all, you need to have a story. Why are we doing these marketing activities and how are they actually going to result in producing more revenue? Then secondly, you need to test that story against people in your company. Go to your sales team and tell the story. We're going to do these things because we expect XYZ. Go to your CEO, go to your CMO and explain these things to kind of waterproof. Mm. This thing should correlate with us producing more demand or producing more revenue. Mm. If the story holds up against these things, then it's about going out and trying it out in the real world. When you start doing these things, then if you want to put a lot of money into it, then you need to start building statistical proof, data proof that this is actually working as you said it would be working. 
Now, sometimes that comes in a quantitative form, meaning that you bought 1,000 clicks and then you had these demo calls and then we sold. Other times it comes in a qualitative form, like who can recommend me a retribution software and then somebody writing dream data or something like that. So what I mean is that not everything is like super quantifiable, mm. but then you need to use like the qualitative things like, you know, there's a lot of people talking about this self-reported attribution as well. And then if you run a podcast like you do, Matt, then it's hard to measure that <laughs> podcast inside of Google Analytics. So a way to maybe understand it is to say, how did you hear about us? And then some people would write your podcast. Mm. But it's your responsibility as a marketer to provide proof that what am I doing? Why is it producing revenue? And if this is the data that kind of backs up what I'm saying. What we do at Dream Data is predominantly trying to understand the quantifiable parts of attribution. Mm. There's stuff that you can't measure. You meet somebody at a conference, he recommends <laughs> a piece of software stuff going on in Slack channel, all these things that some define as stock social, can't measure it. Mm. It's still valuable. That's why if you want to use a platform like ours as a statistical framework, trying to get as much information as you can as possible available, and then run at that by your gut feeling as well, and maybe some qualitative proof, and then you have a good cocktail for scaling or stopping activities. I mean, there's obviously a lot of talk and noise in the market about lead generation versus demand generation. Does that apply for both them? Hard to spend a lot of time on B2B marketing on LinkedIn without seeing that discussion. Sometimes it comes all a bit too theoretical because at the end of the day, if you have proof that these leads that you bring in are parts of deals that you win, who cares? Mm. I don't understand the conceptual part of there's some people where you do demand capture. That's people searching, I want to buy X piece of software. And then there's demand generation where you get in front of people who looks like your ideal customer profile and then you run ads and then they come and do mm. the demand capturing activities. What I can say, of course, is that lead gen collecting emails can be misleading if it's not measured mm. up against these leads actually worth anything. And I think that's when if you don't have like a holistic view of your pipeline, if you don't know of X amount of leads, who of them are actually marketing qualified, who's acceptable by leads, who actually goes into the sales qualified pipeline and how many do you win? Mm. And I think marketers needs to care a lot about the average conversions mm. from every stage. So if you have to produce X amount of deals six months from now, how many leads do you need to convert today? And then you need to know the conversion rate of every single pipeline stage to get there. Mm. So you need to be able to reverse engineer the demand needed from revenue down to kind of how many leads do you collect mm. i mean like if it's just about collecting leads you can just run cat videos on facebook and then you have a long list of email addresses but that's probably not going to translate into sales acceptable mm. leads etc you do joke but there are companies out there that <laughs> are focused totally on mqls it's about this quarter we've got to generate a thousand mqls for the company no matter what that mql is and then on the other hand you've got marketeers who are kind of splitting the funnel a bit so looking at the mql and not categorizing it as just one thing actually what was the source of that mql and then running those two sort of against each other to see which is the better performing in terms of revenue generation rather than just getting an mql yeah exactly and i think so much of this comes down to marketers taking responsibility for doing valuable stuff mm. and my best advice is always if you can walk into the sales room talk to the salespeople, mm -hmm. who do you like talking to, which seem to convert easier to sales, etc. When you think about it, there's just one customer journey and it's not rocket science that 
if you put in crap in terms of really bad leads, nothing comes out of it. If you really understand who's going to be happy about your product, who's easy to sell to, who has the budget, etc., that kind of stuff into your machine, then everybody's probably going to be happier at the end of the day. Mm. It seems like we're moving to a cookie-less future. How is that going to affect attribution? Do the marketers need to be aware of that? Do marketers need to be thinking about that? First of all, let's see the cookie-less future <laughs> before we say it's here. I think what we're seeing with this ITP that uh, Apple introduced was very much focused on punishing the ad providers who were doing some not-so-pretty tracking. What we can see across all our running, we have a script as well that is set as a statistical cookie. It's not getting deleted. Same with other pieces of tracking software, which is kind of first party, just trying to understand what takes place on your website. I don't think there's a cookie-less future anytime soon. Anyway, so if we're in B2B, I can tell you when we sell, we have an average of 70 sessions involved before we sell. So like visits to the website. Wow. And every time somebody comes to our website, our tracking script notes, if we have identified you, we write down in our database. Now Matt came back. Now that cookie might get deleted, but once you come in again and book the demo call, we can still see in the form you submitted, it was Matt. Now, when you then log into the product again, you say it's Matt who's logging in. Mm. So despite the cookie not existing, we can still like keep a diary of all your activities. Obviously, those who really have a problem with this, I think, is the advertising platforms. I still remember back in the day, you could do 180 days retargeting on Facebook. <laughs> it was almost, I would call it easy to do it, be successful back then because, you know, push traffic to your website and just restock them 180 <laughs> days. That's not going to work anymore. No. So I think in the future, you want to be running ads towards email addresses mm. or to run it account-based. So instead of caring a lot about you set the cookie on Matt's browser, it's much more important that it was market recruitment that was on the website. Mm. And then you can do your targeting on LinkedIn saying that it's this company and these people, this function in this company that we want to show it to. Mm. There's a couple of words that you mentioned earlier, actually, dark social. Again, a bit of a topic on social media these days. It gets thrown about a bit. Yeah. And obviously, it's an interesting topic with regards to attribution. I'm sure most people know what dark social is, but ultimately, it's like what you were talking about. It's I'm thinking about buying a new CRM solution. You go into a Slack channel or you go into your own community and you type in, you know, what CRM providers are people using? And then you go and perhaps do your own research. And then eventually you get to a point where you perhaps see an ad or fill out a form. Obviously, that can get attributed there to the ad and the form, but actually the conversation or the research started a lot earlier. So what should people be thinking about in terms of dark social? How can you sort of make sure you're attributing that then to marketing? First of all, dark social means people speak to each other. <laughs> That's not a new innovation. That's something that has always taken place. I think what the dark social movement is just trying to say is that there's stuff you can measure and then there's stuff you're not going to measure, at least not in a quantifiable sense. Mm. But these things matter a lot. You know, I know if I'm buying hardware at home, I know who I'm normally asking with my friends. If I'm buying a certain piece of software, I ask my friends as well. So the way I would work on measuring it is kind of, as I said before, like qualitative measures. If you see your company being mentioned, take a screenshot, share it on Slack or Teams or whatever you're using. Because it's not going to be easy to track this because it's going on all sorts of pockets where you have no chance of tracking it. So I just advise you to take screenshots every time you see it. 
And there's this kind of self-reported option as well, where you kind of ask people where did you hear about us on your website as they submit the form and that can capture something as well. We've tested this ourselves. And to be honest, point one is people can't remember where they came into your funnel. Mm. Point two, getting a good self-reported answer is a bit of a unicorn. So we ran a test and where we had that form on 100 demo calls. I think it was less than 10% of messages that were actually somewhat useful. But it didn't leave me with any instruction on, I heard about you on a podcast. Okay, great. <laughs> Which podcast? What do I do next? Like, should I produce my own? It's barely advising you where to go. But so broadly speaking, dark social, it's word of mouth. If people speak to each other, they recommend stuff, mm. take screenshots, tell the story. If you just hear it at a conference, etc. go back to your team and tell about it. And then hopefully you have a management that is not like just blindly looking at quantifiable metrics. But I also understand that other things are important. I think you should just say, am I speaking to the right people? Do the people I'm speaking to like my message? Mm. Well, then it's probably a pretty good activity to do. Yeah. And I think Utopia is obviously understanding exactly what it was and exactly what that message was that made them actually do that. But yeah. obviously very difficult to find that out, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Unless you get them in a room. Look, I know this is a bit of a general question, but given that you're sort of privy to a lot of attribution data then, I mean, statistically speaking, what sort of channels are working best from an ROI perspective for B2B tech marketers today then? <laughs> Again, also that comes a little bit back to what we said before, like, can you just capture demand or do you have to go and generate the demand? So obviously the demand capture, people writing dream data instead of Google search. Mm. Well, that's a high ROI for it as far as I can measure, but it maybe doesn't account for all the red ads I've been running on LinkedIn towards the account, etc. What you're basically looking for when you're saying high ROI to me means low effort, high value. Mm. You've probably seen us being pretty active on LinkedIn and we're doing, we call it social selling, which means mm. we know our ideal customer profile. LinkedIn is a directory of most professionals in the world. So we can go and pick out our ideal customer profiles and then you can spend your 100 connects per week on LinkedIn. And then you just push quality content in front of them three, four, five mm. times every week. Mm. I think that is, at least if you're restrictive about how much time you allow yourself on each post, then that's a highly effective thing to do. It depends so much on what kind of business you are and you know what makes sense in your industry, etc. If your average deal size is very low, then you can't have super skilled salespeople to sit and bring in those deals. Mm. So you have to kind of find a customer acquisition cost to channel fit. Mm. Otherwise, you're wasting your money. No, indeed. And you talked a little about social selling there, but you're obviously running a marketing team there. What's your best performing campaign right now then? I think Captera, the review platform. So people who come to a review platform looking inside of the category that you're within, the intent that you are showing there and coming to our website from a review platform means you read the reviews, you understand the product. So that's a highly effective channel. To build up a good review platform is a ton of work because, first of all, you need a good product, yep. then you need a good CS team, and then you need to get those CS people to get those reviews on Capture and then RG2, and then you can harvest kind of the fruits of all that work. Hmm. There's no free lunches. All of it kind of <laughs> <laughs> takes knowing your customer acquisition cost, and it takes a lot of work to make it happen. Yeah, fine. You're a CMA yourself. If you're hiring a demand gen marketer then into your team. I don't even know what it is. 
Well, any kind of marketer, marketer to support with revenue growth then within your company, what sort of skills and attributes would you look for? The personal traits, you're proactive, you're smart, you'd like to test stuff, you're creative, but you also respect the numbers. It's like kind of a hunger to improve. We always have one or two interns, like some interns you throw stuff at, they never catch it. Others people, you they catch on to it immediately and those are the ones you hire to stay around on your team. You have to be highly versatile to be a good marketer. You need to know the numbers. You need to be hardworking. You need to be creative. You need to understand what are our customers thinking, what do people like, etc. So it's hard, Matt. I guess you guys think about it all the time. Well, I think being a B2B tech marketeer is a hard job these days. You know, I think the responsibility that a B2B tech marketer has now versus what they had 10 years ago in terms of being how visible they are, in terms of the impact they have within a company, it's a tough gig. You know, you've got marketeers who have a quota almost in the same way that a salesperson has a quota. Yeah, and if I were looking for a marketing job, I would be asking a lot of questions to the company I were to join Mm. because it's so hard to find a good fit between your skills and what company you are position you are heading into. What am I specifically going to be measured on? What are specifically the activities that we do? How important is marketing in this company? Are you sales-led? Okay, so you don't care about marketing. So you should be super critical about asking all these questions because I see so many brilliant marketers in my net go on to a new job. They find out, oh, it's actually a company that doesn't care about marketing or I'm not given the budget I need. Like these circumstances, I have no chances of succeeding. And all of this comes back to being very, very critical about the conversations you have when you interview for the job. Mm. And bringing it back to sort of attribution, we speak to a lot of companies who want to see that from marketeers, but the environments that they're in mean that it's very hard to do attribution really well. So just sort of builds on your point there. Look, this has been a fascinating chat, Stefan. Attribution is such a big thing for B2B marketers right now. You know, it's really interesting to see how you guys are tackling it. It's really interesting to hear about how you'd suggest marketers to tackle it. If anybody's got any follow-up questions, what's the best way of them getting in touch with you? Definitely LinkedIn. So anybody can just write me there and I'm happy to answer all questions. Perfect. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Matt, for the invite. I enjoyed it. Excellent. Cheers. So that's it for another episode of the Market Mentors podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a review as that helps the channel going forward. Until next time.